Hey there, my name is Chris Rivers. I want to thank you for joining us today. And if this is your first time with us, welcome to the Men at Grace podcast. Our goal in this episode is to help motivate and encourage men to take responsibility for the people and the situations that God brings in their lives. In this episode, Brad Walbridge and I chat with Scott Puckett, who serves as Traveler's Rest Campus Pastor. So be sure to check out our Men at Grace podcast page at gracechurchsc.org forward slash Men at Grace. And on that page, you can access a summary. You can also get a transcript of this episode and group leader questions should you want to discuss this with other men. Also, we realize that listening to an episode is an individual experience, which we believe is only enhanced by talking through it and applying it to life. And this is something that we believe lots of men don't naturally seek out or have built into their lives. So here are three questions we want to give you as you listen to this episode. Number one, what do I need to move on? Number two, who am I accountable to as I move? And then number three, who would benefit from me sharing this episode with them? Scott, you recently spoke to our staff around the idea of being prayerfully dependent. It was perfect timing for me. I'd been thinking about the idea of self-reliance and how this can be dangerous for me. Our culture says that learning to rely on yourself is an important strength to have. And so if we're not careful, that can lead to independence, which we know is the exact opposite of how we should relate to God. So the problem that you address to our staff is that it's easy to fall into a rhythm of self-reliance and prayerlessness in the workplace. So could you speak to us, speak to our men, just share with us from the front end, like why is self-reliance a dangerous trap for us and how does prayer help us be dependent? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think it all begins for me in looking at the life of Jesus and knowing that Jesus prayed. Yeah. I mean, it's really bizarre if you think about it. Here is God himself. And Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the very image of the glory of God mm. in every way. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And his posture is one of prayer. He is dependent. He says, I only speak what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. And that is just profound. That just strikes me to the core of realizing that if he needed to be dependent on his Father, how much more do I need to be dependent on God mm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in my life? For me, one of the things I realized that in practicality, prayer has become much more, for me, something that sometimes feels like a stepping stool. Mm. Like if I can't reach something and I need a little help, right. it's a good time to pray. Or if I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm falling and I'm in trouble, it's my safety net. Yeah. And both those postures, of course, I have plenty of opportunities to pray in those, but it leaves a very vast cavern of the middle that I typically tend to be prayerless. Mm. I rely on my own strength, rely on my own power. And I realized that over the 32 years I've been working on a church staff in different settings that I have built in scripts, for example. So if somebody is, is coming and asking me has a discipleship question or a pastoral question, on most topics, I probably have two, three, maybe more scripts that I can bring up to my head that this worked really well when I said this to somebody last yeah. time. Or somebody benefited from this insight. And those scripts will pop in my head quickly, way sooner than I have stopped and paused to maybe even prayed about the meeting to begin with, much less in the moment, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me to really where just the right place might be, the right topic to bring up, the right issue, or maybe just the right question to ask. So that is where the rubber meets the road for me is in those kind of day in, day out experiences of how am I relying on God in the moment to be aware of what's happening, things that only the Holy Spirit could be guiding me because he's also maybe working, guiding another person's heart and being in a posture to receive that. I like what Tim Keller says when he defines prayer. He says this, he says, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. 
we must know the awe of praising His glory, the intimacy of finding His grace, and the struggle of asking His help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of His presence. And as I think about that and unpackage that more in my life, and I'm realizing that really a posture of prayer is what directs our practice of prayer. And in turn, our practice of prayer will strengthen our posture. That's really good. Self-reliance or prayerlessness is dangerous because the work that we're doing is a spiritual work. Mm. And it is one that God is doing in the hearts of men and women. And that can only happen as we rely on him. You know, Scott, I've heard people talk about their prayer life being transactional. Can you help us understand what is a transactional prayer life with God? What does that look like and why is that unhealthy? I think it's a good question, good insight. I mean, transactional, by its very definition, implies that there is something, an expectation that one person is bringing that's kind of contingent upon the behavior of the other person. And it's coming in really focused on self. It's focused on what am I going to get out of this and what do I have to give in order to get what I want and just like that would not work very well in a marriage relationship, right. at least not for long, <laughs> right. right? It is not going to work as well in our relationship with God because we're in a situation with God that we're deserving of nothing from God. Yeah. God owes us nothing. Right. And yet at the same time, we're coming to a God who has made everything possible for us to come boldly before his throne, as the scriptures tell us, yeah. and that he has torn the temple veil in two, so we have access to him. And he invites us, I mean, the most amazing thing about the Lord's Prayer is he invites us to call him our Father. Who in heaven. Right. He invites that kind of posture to come. And children come because they know who loves them and they mm-hmm. know what they need. And they're there to enjoy their father. And God's inviting us to that kind of relationship. And that's why I love, as you were talking about, Tim Keller, just the, the posture and practice and how those intertwine. So I'd love, to, I'd love to talk for a little bit on posture. So if it's not transactional, how do we, in a very practical sense, think about and move into that prayer relationship with the Lord. Well, the whole idea of the posture, I think, is what Keller picks up in his definition, that we must know first, he says, the awe of praising his glory, the awe of God, to be able to come. And even the Lord's Prayer is such a great example of this for us, because again, if we move past the first two words, our Father, we miss a big part of the awe here, that Mm -hmm. God invites us. Because you got to remember in the Old Testament, it was not even thought you could say the name Yahweh, Mm. how holy it was. And so to think of God as a Father was blasphemous for many, in many ways. It just did not compute. So to come to realize that we can come as beloved children before a father in heaven who invites us to, who we know created the universe with the spoken word, should invoke in us a great sense of awe to have that kind of transcendence of this God, but also this kind of imminence of closeness of this God. And that leads us to the second part was the intimacy that he's described, the intimacy of finding his grace, that we are able to come because he has taken care of the barrier between us and him and sin. He has broken the guilt of sin by paying for it, and he has broken the power of sin. And so the love that he has displayed towards us to make that possible creates an intimacy that should be very warming to us and very inviting. And then also he asks us, he invites us to come into the struggle, asking for his help. He invites us to come and knowing that we're needy and knowing that he takes delight in meeting the needs. I mean, Jesus gives us that whole analogy where he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give you what you need if you ask him? And he yeah. says, and that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, he invites us in that. So that posture is a game changer. It really changes everything. Yeah. What does that look like for you to just be able to bring that mindset and that posture to your prayer life in the midst of all the things that we could get caught up in 
and not be able to focus on him? Yeah, great question. I think one of the ways it plays out for me is that in the moment, it can be one of the most humbling things for me to realize that God has appointed me to be an ambassador in that moment, whether it's sitting by somebody in the hospital, whether it's sitting by somebody across the coffee table, Mm. whether it's having a conversation by phone or even a text message, that if I take the moment to realize that I am his ambassador, as 2 Corinthians 5 talks about here, to represent God and his love and his truth to people, it is a very humbling thing for me to sit in that moment. And it also very much helps me to orient to how much I need to know what does God want to say to this person? How can I encourage this person? How can I point them to not me as lowercase shepherd, but to the capital S shepherd where yeah. they can really see him. So that's, that's one of the ways. Okay. Thank you. So Scott, as I'm thinking through this, you said ambassador, which makes me think about responsibility. So we're keen on that. Bill White told me a while back ago, he said the greatest thing that we can do to disciple people is to give them responsibility. Because if we give somebody responsibility, then they are on the hook for something. So you are in awe. You are recognizing this intimacy. You're in the struggle because you're asking God for help because you you feel like you're responsible for your relationship with him. How did you begin to think differently about this ambassador, this responsibility that you have? I mean, I know you work in a church, but for men that don't work in a church, help us think through what does responsibility being an ambassador look like that gives us this connection to God? It's a good question. I think what comes to mind is, is just realizing that the work that God has given us to do is his work. Ephesians 2.8.9, which most of us have memorized, is sometimes forgotten by Ephesians 2.10, which says that we are to do the good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. If we are joining Jesus in the work that he is doing, it gives us a very different posture than hoping that Jesus is going to come join our work that we're doing. Right. So we have to be attuned to what is his work. We have to be attuned to what is his ways of how to do that work. And that creates a real sense of being dependent in that moment, but also the weight of responsibility, that I have a responsibility to point people to where the, it's the idea of that one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. If I understand I'm just a beggar, the most important thing I can do is give good directions to where the bread of life really is and make sure they realize it's not anywhere else than in God himself. Mm. Yeah. So when was the turning point for you that you were going to stop using the scripts and you were going to actually start depending on God and you were going to do that through prayer. The light bulb hasn't gone off fully. This is so much of a daily work for me yeah. that it's just becoming something I'm just realizing, like just like I have to physically work out my body mm-hmm. on a daily basis or almost every day. Um, <laughs> I, I'm realizing that I have to spiritually work this out too because I'm so inclined not to do it, but to realize that every interaction that I'm having because the responsibility I have as a husband, as a father, as a somebody at my workplace is reminding me that I've got to come into the situation of knowing that when Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, then I have to take that seriously, that that wasn't just hyperbole. Jesus was really trying to let us know that he has got to be involved with that to orient my mind coming into it, to give me direction about what to say, what not to say. Sometimes what not to say is just as important as what to say. Mm -hmm. Or to ask a question could be way more important than trying to give an answer. So for me, it's a daily muscle that I'm hoping to exercise more and more each day, but I don't feel like I've arrived by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. 
I think for like when you go, if you sign up for a race, I like to run. So if I go sign up for a race in October, then I have a motivation to get ready. So like I'm going to go train each day because I want to be ready for that race. Is increased responsibility the race that you have signed up for that makes you remember this on a daily basis? I mean, what is it for us as men that's going to help us be prayerfully dependent each day? I do think we've got to feel the weight of the responsibility. You're more inclined to pray when you feel like you can't handle it. So the daily reminder, whether it's getting up early with the word or spending time in the church reading plan that we have, which is great to remind ourselves the weight that we are carrying and the responsibilities that we have with the people Mm -hmm. that we're going to interact with to begin going into that day, already thinking about what posture do I need to have here in this moment and how can that inform the decisions I'm going to make going through it. Let's talk a little bit about the practice. So if you were to commission us as men, how would you advise us to find strength in the Lord by being prayerfully dependent? Well, one thing that comes to my mind immediately is the idea of asking yourselves this, do I plan then pray or do I pray then plan? Hmm. That is a very profound thing because all of us as men, wherever our course of the day goes, we are usually in some kind of mode where we are having to plan and think through the next day, the next hour, the week ahead, the year, whatever the case is. But it has been a great question for me to ask which one is coming first, prayer before planning or planning before prayer. One example we get from the scriptures in Second Samuel 5, we have this example where David is seeking God's advice. And in one particular battle in that chapter, he is asking God how he should go about in this particular battle. And he seeks the Lord and God says, hey, go up and take them. I'm going to give them into your hand. He does exactly what God says. And then he has an opportunity, I think the very next day or so, to enter into another battle. And rather than assuming that God's with them, just like he was before, and he was going to do the exact same thing, he seeks the Lord again. And God says to do something quite different this time. He says, actually says, says, hey, go around back, go underneath the balsam trees, wait to hear the sound of the heavenly host going above you, and then attack. I mean, it was very different, and yet David was attuned and realized that prayer needed to come before the planning. And if you contrast that to King Saul before David, it was quite the opposite. Remember in 1 Samuel 15, we have Saul's famous situation where he is waiting on Samuel, but he takes things into his own hand when Samuel is delayed and begins his own process of how he's going to go about making the sacrifice and whatsoever. And from that moment, God strips the kingdom from him because he was very much more about planning than he was about praying. Man, that's really good. I got to work on that. No doubt. (laughs) Likewise. Well, another example that comes to mind, too, that might be helpful is just thinking as far as putting into practice is asking yourself, does your prayer life reflect the priorities that Jesus did? Um, And I think going back to the Lord's Prayer is what can be helpful on that there is that Jesus is telling us that for the Lord's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as is in heaven was to be the priority in his prayer life. And that's why he instructed his disciples to pray that way. He instructs us to do that. I know just recently, an example for me personally, I've been praying since we moved into our new campus is knowing that visitors were going to be coming and just praying for God to bring them and praying that we would be ready as a campus, that we would have a posture that is welcoming and hospitable, but we would also be intentional in connecting people to the local church and helping them get plugged in, helping them come and be covenant members Lord willing, and be part of a discipleship process and community, and really just see disciples being made. So that has been, I think, a 
legitimate prayer requests, but I've realized that it has got me also in this, just a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at our attendance numbers and I found myself with a contrary heart to what God's heart was in this. And that as I was looking at the attendance, rather than looking at the TR attendance, which is where I need to be looking and see how that was going, I was captured by Greer's attendance and Spartanburg's <laughs> attendance and Taylor's just to make sure that TR was kind of measuring up in my mind to what others were doing. And, yeah. and the Holy Spirit just caught me in that moment. I just, just a check in my spirit of going, gosh, this is my heart right now is in a very mm-hmm. different spot than the heart of wanting us to see all of our campuses are faithfully reaching out and connecting with people. And I just realized that I had a very different motive that was happening in that moment. It wasn't for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. It was more about Scott's kingdom to come and Scott's will be done. And it was a great reflection time for me to come back and to repent and to realign my heart in my practice of prayer. It's like James says in chapter five, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Mm. It's a great reminder for us to be inviting the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts in this process and to make sure that our prayers are kingdom-focused yes. um, as Jesus has instructed us. Scott, you just you just gave all of us a peel-back-the-layer, peel-back-the-curtain moment that was very vulnerable. And I, first of all, I'm grateful for it because I think we all have those moments. But why is it why is it so hard for us to have those moments, that honesty with ourselves, not just about for you, it's, it's campus and looking at numbers and things like that. But why is it so hard for us to, to have the right motives as we come into that time of prayer? Why do you think that's so challenging? I think it's challenging because we are not as honest with ourselves, or at least I know I'm not, to say that I really have a different kingdom goal much of the time. Mm. And it is not for the king of kings. It is very much something that's about me and about my world and about the life I'm trying to create for myself. And so on a very, very molecular level, I've got to be realizing that that battle is happening every day in my heart. And I have to surrender that area of my life by God's grace every single day to realize that that, those are intention. The kingdom of this world and of Mm -hmm. Scott is intention with the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The example you give of Jesus, I mean, Jesus really is the example across the board for us in our faith. Why do we drift away from that so much? I mean, there's so many books, so many articles, so many videos that get created of do this, do this, do this. Why do we drift so often from Jesus as the example? I think we are inclined to do it because there really is an enemy that we have. One, our our flesh is inclined to do that. The world around us is certainly doing that. And there really is a real enemy, Satan himself and his forces, Mm -hmm. that are at work at doing this. And so to be taking every thought captive is going to be important. To be using the spiritual armor that God has given us, the shield of faith and sword of his word, are going to be essential things that we're going to have to be utilizing in it. But we do not live in peacetime. We live in wartime. And that would be something for all of us to, we'd be better served if we remembered that and took that posture. Yeah. Well, as men, we were created, and we have a creator, and so we have a God-given calling to be responsible for the people and the situation that God brings into our lives. And so that means that we move towards people and situations. We depend on God, who is our creator, and this was God's perfect plan before the fall. And after the fall, we no longer live as a created being. We don't position ourselves under our maker. We want to be independent. 
And this leads to passivity. It leads to self-reliance, which is a complete corruption of the good thing that God created. And so Jesus comes, he becomes a man to save us from our sins and to restore to us a right relationship with the creator. And so the question is, is how do I move on that? Like, am I going to be passive or am I going to move? Am I going to be self-reliant or am I going to depend on God? So if our listeners are familiar, we share at our campuses the seven arrows that Matt Rogers created, which is a tool that you can use to spend time reading the scriptures. And one of the questions in the set, it's seven questions. So what does the passage say? What does this passage mean to its original audience? Number three is really interesting. What does this passage tell me about God? And I think that that question helps us probably understand Jesus's priorities, because if we understand what the passage tells us about God, it helps us understand why Jesus did the things that he actually did. Because as you said earlier, he was connected to the father. It was his father. He looked to the father. So something to think about. Yeah. Scott, we're we're grateful for this conversation. Is there anything else that you would want to leave our men with as they're coming to the end of this episode and they're getting ready to move on to the next thing? Are there any final thoughts you would want to leave them with, leave us with? I think one of the things that has come to mind is really reorientation of what real strength is. Are we willing to choose to be strong, knowing that biblically that means we must be weak? Can we be strong enough to be weak? The Apostle Paul, I think, realized that in his passage on the thorn in the flesh here, that with all the power he had to heal many people and his closeness and his intimacy with God, three different times he asked God to take away a thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, and God made it clear to him that this thorn that was going to remind him of his weakness and that in his weakness, God's strength would be made perfect. So for him to be learning that later in his life, and as one who wrote most in the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a good reminder to us to be reminded of that, that weakness is really our strength. Mm. Another thing that comes to my mind, one of the things that I think is important for us to know in the discipleship process, that as important as it is for us to be prayerfully dependent for us, because we desperately need it, it is also very important for the people we're trying to disciple. They need to not only hear us talk about that as an important principle, but they need to see it. They need to smell it. They need to know that we're actually living this kind of dependent life because that in many ways is going to actually influence them way more than us just telling them this is something they ought to do because they're going to see it and they're going to watch it and they're going to experience it themselves in your life. And it's going to be contagious. So that would be one thing I would think would be important. Like, for example, one way I saw this play out is there was a buddy of mine that every time he went to lunch with somebody, he would be having prayer before the meal, and he would take a moment before the prayer. He would talk to the waiter or the waitress and say, hey, we usually are going to pray before a meal, and would love to just know, is there any way we can pray for you before this meal? And almost every single time, the uh, person would give them something pretty profound to pray for. And he would take the moment for that meal, not necessarily to pray with him right there, but to pray with the meal for that specific need that that was, and then let them know later on that they did it. And I thought that was just a great way to keep them themselves mindful and to model it yeah. right there in a real life situation where Absolutely. most of us find ourselves probably on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Or even that moment of just when someone says, you say, hey, how can I pray for you? And then they tell you. And then just like stop right there and actually right. pray. Like yeah. don't wait for later. Okay, well, I'll talk to you later. Great. I mean, yeah, it I doesn't mean, have to be this lengthy, yeah. profound prayer that is being that is being given. But just for them to know that you care that much mm-hmm. and for you to demonstrate that and for the discipline for yourself to do that in that moment. Yeah, I mean, many times I've done that. I've said, hey, can I pray for you right now? And I'm not sure anybody has ever said no. People are taken back by that and right. delighted that you would stop right there and actually pray for them. That's powerful. 
That's good. Well, thanks for joining us, Scott. This has been really good. I'm very encouraged. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, as we wrap up today's conversation, we want to thank you for joining us. If you know a man that would benefit from hearing this episode, share it with him. Having intentional conversations around these principles is a great way to start a discipleship conversation and move towards Christ. If you'd like to continue digging into this topic, we have some resources that will help you take some next steps. So check out our Minute Grace podcast page at gracechurchsc.org forward slash Minute Grace. On this page, you can access a summary. Uh, transcript and group leader questions to discuss with other men. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.